But I really believe that God has a, a plan and a purpose in His divine assignment that He has us on here today in Wisconsin, and, um, and we're just excited to be here. I know Pastor Tom is a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun in the first service, and I know that the real fun people come to second service because you were up partying last night, <laughs> so you couldn't get up for church this morning, so is that okay if we have some fun this morning? It's, it's good. Thank you, Pastor Tom, for the opportunity. We, we met Pastor Tom exactly a year ago, just the week after the, your last missions conference. We came, and we were coming through Madison, and we stayed with um, his daughter, Anne, was here at the time, and they invited us to come and stay over just to meet our friends, uh, Noe and Holly, that was staying here as well. And so we, we came, and, I, and I, I reached out to Pastor Tom, and I said, would you have time in your schedule when we're here for a day to meet with us? And he was too busy to meet with missionaries visiting. So, so we like, okay, Lord, that's fine. His ways are not our ways. So then we, we got on really well with Josh and Anne, and, and, um, and, she, and I said, oh, I'd hope to meet your dad, but that didn't happen, and so never mind, maybe next time. And, and she said, uh, do you know how to play the game Ticket to Ride? I said, well, funnily enough, I said, uh, a couple showed us how to play that a month ago on our travels, and I said, yes, I can play that game, and the thing is, see, Ticket to Ride, I don't know if you know what that game is, but basically, there's, there's all these cities in America that you have to get a, a train from, and you, have, you, know, you play this game, it's a strategy game, well, you know, that's our life. We just travel all the time, and we go between city and city, so it's not a game to us, it's life to us. And I said, yeah, we can play that game. I said, but, and she said, if I tell my dad that there are Welsh missionaries that know how to play Ticket to Ride in my house and invite him for lunch and make pot roast, I think he'll come. <laughs> so she called him and he said, I'll be there in half an hour. <laughs> so, you know, God has a strategy sometimes to do things a different way where we try and force a door down. Sometimes God says, just, just wait and see what I will do. And then, you know, we had a fun time with Pastor Tom. And uh, although we had fun, we also ended up prophesying over him and his beautiful wife. And, uh, and you know, we just had a good time. And he said, I think I want you to come next year and speak at the missions conference. And I'm like, wow, okay. You're going to give me the microphone and say all these things again. Hopefully, this won't be the last time that we're invited. So... But it's good to be here with you. We, from our accent, you'll tell that we're not from Wisconsin. Uh, but we like to say we got here as fast as we could. And that's been uh, 56 years it's taken us to come. So, um, Julie and I are on week, just finishing week two of a nine-week ministry trip uh, that we're doing. Uh, we put a map up uh, there. Uh, we put that on Facebook two weeks ago just for some of our followers to pray for us. We asked, please pray for our trip. And one of our, our ministry partners messaged me and said, that looks like the Apostle Paul's second missionary trip. If you've got maps in your Bible, you can go and see Paul's second missionary trip. I said, I didn't know that he, Apostle Paul came to the USA, um, <laughs> but I guess he didn't, so he sent us instead. So, you know, we are writing the Bible if the Bible was still being written today, you and I would be in it. The question is, what part would you be? Would you be the prodigal son, or would you be the, the son that stayed home? Would you, would you be the, the man who, who uh, Jesus touched and healed? Would you be the one? What would be your part in the story? Jesus is still writing His story. Sometimes we think that we read these Bible stories as if they're history, and all they are are examples because Jesus left them for us so that we would use those examples and say, look, guys, I want you to run with this, and this is a model of what we're doing. And so I just so hope this morning to encourage you. Uh, we've driven 3,000 miles to get you from Jacksonville, Florida in the last two weeks. Uh, we have another 6,000 miles to drive when we leave here before we get back to our base in November. So please pray for us as we go. It's an exciting opportunity for us to go uh, to many, many places in the USA, and God has given us a passion for this nation. You know, God hasn't forgotten about the United States of America. It doesn't matter what it looks like on the news. It doesn't matter what the statistics say. God has a plan and a purpose for this nation, and His, His plans and purposes will not be put off by anything that is thrown at us. 
One of the things that Julie and I are very conscious of in this season is that we're on a divine assignment each and every day. Wherever we go, we're on a divine assignment. It's a heaven-sent assignment. And this is not just for us. It's not just for these missionary folks that have come from all over the world. It's for every believer of Jesus Christ. You have a divine assignment. God has a plan and a purpose in your life. You are God's secret weapon. Some of you are keeping it a real good, well-kept secret, but God wants to wake you up this morning because God wants to use your life to impact your sphere of influence. God is going to use your life to reach your neighbors and the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. As I was looking at statistics for Wisconsin uh, on Google, I Googled it and it said Wisconsin is the most politically liberal city in the United States of America. Is, is, is that something you would agree with? I don't know. But I thought, so what do we need then? We need the most on fire, radically anointed church in the city of the United States of America to combat that which the enemy plans to come and steal, kill, and destroy. You know, we spend a lot of time down south uh, in the southern states uh, and, you know, the Bible Belt, as they call it. And then last week we were in Tulsa. They said, this is the buckle of the Bible Belt, whatever that's supposed to mean. And so, uh, we, well, we'll go into the heart, which is a bit higher. We go into Wisconsin. Uh, and so we come above the belt. And, uh, you know, I need to stand behind you so you don't see my above the belt. Just, uh, but, you know, we come to Wisconsin, and down south, they always think that the people up north, you know, they're not as spiritual, you know, we are the ones where the churches are filled. I remember when we were living in Dallas for a while, and the, the postman came whistling a hymn. I'd never heard a postman whistling a hymn before, and it was like, wow, they are all saved down south. <laughs> we were in New Orleans uh, in Louisiana and down in the French Quarter, there was this guy and he was leaning, he sort of had his hand around this lamppost, sort of his light, light stand, uh, and he was sort of swinging out into the road and uh, he, he was clicking his fingers, he was clicking his fingers, clicking his fingers. And I said, sir, w what are you doing? He said, I'm frightening away the wild elephants. I said, sir, there's there's no wild elephants within 8,000 miles of New Orleans in Louisiana. He didn't miss a beat, and he said, I'm doing a great job. <laughs> Some of us need to have that attitude that we're frightening away the enemy, the wild things that the enemy is, tr is trying to bring on to us. You know, we're fr we, we, are, we are here to populate heaven and decimate hell. That is our role. That is what we are. We are. I, I hope today that you understand something about your identity in Christ. There is an identity crisis in the church in the USA. I don't say that to judge you or to be critical. I just want to tell you that that is a word from the Lord today. Unless you start to realize who you are and who God has called you to be, you're going to buy into the negativity of the media. You're going to buy into the, the, the corruption. You're going to buy into the political decisions. You know, friends are emailing us all the time saying, please pray for this decision. Please pray for that decision. And we diligently pray for this nation. But really, as we come here, we realize that it doesn't matter who's in the White House or what they say. It doesn't matter if the decisions now or two years or three years ago were right or wrong. It's who is on the throne of heaven that matters. He has the authority, and he has the final word. You know, the prophets of Baal is a, a, one of my favorite stories. And, and really, there's a lot of things that I like about that story of the prophets of Baal. The very fact that he said, you have the first go. You know, it's, it's like having the confidence in the schoolyard to say to the bully, you have the first punch and then let's see what happens. Knowing that if you don't knock me down, I'm going to kill you the second time. <laughs> well, the enemies had, had the first go with the prophets of Baal. And then just as Elijah is going to come and call down fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice, God says, wait, tell them to pour water on it. We would pour gasoline on it, wouldn't we, really? That's what we would do. We say, let's pour gasoline and help God in what He needs to, to consume this sacrifice. 
But really, you know, the fact that he said pour water on it, as I see some of these political decisions, as I see the darkness rising up in this nation, it's like God is saying, let's pour water on it and see what I will come and do. When the glory of the Lord comes and, and the revival that God is about to bring for this nation, it's going to wipe away all these things. The dross is going to be dried up in Jesus' name. My Bible tells me in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 that God is not the author of confusion. You know, if I would say one thing about this nation and many nations of the world, right now there is a lot of confusion. People are saying, what on earth is happening? Well, we need to ask the question, what in heaven is happening? You know, we all pray the Lord's Prayer where we say, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We need to start to call heaven earth, the, the way things operate in heaven. And how do we do that? I, I was raised in a Pentecostal church, and I remember as a teenager, people would be praying, Lord, send your Holy Spirit today and refresh us. But my Bible says that 2,000 years ago, the promise of the Father was that the Holy Spirit would come and be in us. So they're praying for the Holy Spirit to come, but it's already come 2,000 years ago. Where is it now? The Bible says if the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us, it'll quicken us. So what does that mean to you today in 2021? That means that the resurrection power of heaven lives on the inside of you. Is that the way you see yourself today? When you go into a difficult situation, do you think, oh me, oh my, am I going to be able to cope? Or do you think the power of heaven lives on the inside of me? I'm taking the kingdom of God in, and it's going to affect the atmosphere of where I'm going. Do you know who you are today? <laughs> Julie and I carry a, an anointing for breakthrough. It's not something that we self-appointed ourselves, but it's, it's something that we've just recognized. As we go into churches and we go into Bible schools, we go into different arenas, we go into states, uh, and we just see that the Lord, you know, the, the, the evidence is that there's breakthrough that comes as a result of our ministry. So we, we want to steward that anointing well. We don't, we don't want to come in and be flippant. I like to have fun, but I'm serious about the things of God. You know, God's plan and His purpose is not just to entertain us. God's plan and His purpose is to set us free and use our lives to set those free around us. We are God's rescue team. 2,000 years ago, Jesus came down to rescue us, and now we are part of that rescue team. My question to you today is, who are you rescuing? Who are you rescuing? People around you are, dr are drowning. People around the world are drowning, waiting for someone to throw them the life raft. The reality is you are the life God on duty today, and God wants to use your life to reach your neighbors and, your na and the nations. Everywhere we go, we pray for revival. A revival is on our hearts. It's part of our language it's part of who we are. When we met Pastor Tom and we started saying that our mandate is to redig the wells of revival, it stirred something up in him. He almost lost the game that we played, but I'd said to Anne in advance, I better let him win the first time. <laughs> Otherwise, he'll never invite me to preach. My strategy worked, didn't it? So it's, uh... But don't tell him I said that, okay? So... I didn't say it in the first service, so... We're here for seven days. Uh, Pastor Tom asked us if we'd like to come and preach today, and then he said, if you'd like to stay, you can stay. So our schedule is, as I said, well, we don't want to come and be spectators. If we can minister to people who need us, then it doesn't matter if people are struggling in their relationships or struggling in their families or individuals. I said, use us when we're here. And so our schedule started coming from Nancy, and, and it started building up, and and I think every day we're doing something, and we're getting the opportunity to speak at the Christian school, and we love that because our passion is to, to rise up, uh, the, raise up the next generation. Uh, we get to speak in Bible schools and ministry schools and youth camps very often, and we love the opportunity to take the next generation to the next level. You know, we believe that uh, the Great Commission is not going to be fulfilled by just the older generation. There needs to be a new generation that, that rises up. Uh, we were in a church in, um, in Texas two weeks ago, and, and 
two couples came up to us during the ministry time, and I said, how, how could I pray for you? And they said, can you pray that our teenage children will have an encounter with Jesus Christ? And I said, okay, but before I pray that, I said, and I felt the Holy Spirit rise up on the inside of me, I said, can I just ask you, are they seeing a life that is so sold out for Christ at home, so inspiring that they can't resist wanting the same for themselves? One of the fathers said, ouch, ouch. I was saying in the first service, I have a very uh, low attention span. I feel like a teenager sometimes. I've, I get bored very quickly. A lot of church bores me. And, you know, this is why young people sometimes don't want to stay in church, because they're like, these people don't look like they believe what they're preaching. These people are not living like the Bible says they can live, so perhaps it's not true. Because we are the only Bible that some people will ever read. How, how are you reflecting Jesus in your life? Are people excited? Pastor Tom said, we are contagious. Well, we are contagious wherever we are. If we're in a hotel, you know, for us, we have an advantage. They say, oh, I love your accent. Where are you from? Well, that opens the door. And to say that heaven has come today to you, you know, we don't say it in those words, but we're like, why did you stop to talk to us? Maybe this is a divine appointment and a divine assignment. And we have spoken to people, and people tell us all the time in hotels, well, I used to go to church, you know, and I know I should go, but something happened, or I had a bad relationship, or, or this happened in my life, and it stopped me from attending church. That is the story of so many people. They are looking for somebody that will give them hope. They are looking for somebody that says God sees you. We pray every day for divine appointments, but I believe there are people praying right around you that God would speak to them. I was in a situation just last week, uh, and this guy said to me, I, I, I talked to him ab um, about who we were, and he said, you know, I've been praying that God would send somebody, and I feel he sent you. And that's a privilege to think that God would send me from five, born 5,000 miles away to come to America and meet somebody uh, in Oklahoma to, to do that. But, you know, you have the opportunity each and every day with people around you to, to give them the words of heaven. If only you would have the courage and the boldness to tell people about your story. Pray for us this week as we speak to your young people. There is a battle raging for the destiny of the young people of this nation and the nations of the world. Never has there been uh, more availability of addictive substances, whether that be drugs or alcohol or computer games or the internet or pornography. You know, the heaven, hell is, is throwing everything at this world to try and distract them from a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we as the people of God are on the winning side. We need to overcome that. And so please pray for us as we speak to your young people. I want to talk to them this week about, we, we're speaking in the school, we're speaking in the youth group, um, we, we're actually on Wednesday, we're speaking in the kids' church next Sunday. So it's exciting for us that we get to inspire these young people, that God has a plan and a purpose. I almost want to say, forget what your parents are like. God can still use you. <laughs> Is that right? When we pastored in England for 10 years, I remember my youth pastor, who was a white guy from Zimbabwe, he said to me, he said, you know, the biggest problem with our youth believing what God says is the example that their parents are setting them. They're seeing a generation that's told them they're religious, and, but they've not, they've not done anything with the relationship. They'll sit and pray, but they won't tell their neighbors about Christ. I don't know whether it's appropriate. I have no opinion whether you should wear masks or not, so this is not a, a statement for those who do or those who don't. But we were in Indiana a year ago. It was at the height of the global pandemic, and my, the pastor said to me, look, we've had some ugly scenes in our church over people who think you should wear masks and people who think you shouldn't wear masks. And he says, and I'm in the middle of it, and I don't know what to do. I've said to people, do what you feel you, you should do and don't judge others, which I think is probably the, the message of this church. And then it was my turn to get up and preach on the Sunday. And, you know, I had this in my mind going over, and I'm like, no, Lord, I don't want to say anything about this. And I felt the Spirit of the Lord rise up in me and say, why would you be concerned about wearing a mask 
to save your, your, your neighbor from a virus when you won't go across the street and give them the words of eternal life that will save them from a lost eternity. You know, we have a responsibility to reach our neighbors and the nations with the gospel. We have a responsibility to take what Jesus has passed to us and pass it on to those around us. It, it doesn't just fall in, into the lap of the pastor or the missionary. God has called each and every one of us to be on mission every day. You will reach people that I will never have the opportunity to reach. You know, greater is he that is living in us than he that is in the world. Sometimes I think that there's, there seems to be a, an increase in fear in this nation. I always say that fear is the acronym for false evidence appearing real. You know, there's a lot of false evidence propagated by the media in this nation. It doesn't matter which nation you're in, people are saying things as if they're true, and it frightens everybody, and it shrinks us to think that the world is falling apart. Well, if you read the Bible, it tells us in the last days the world will fall apart. But, you know, we have a king of kings and a lord of lords that's waiting to come back to us. But we win in the end. Read the end of the book. We win. We're on the winning side. 2,000 years ago, Jesus talking about reaching people with the gospel. He said to his disciples, the fields are white unto harvest, but the laborers are few. Really, that message hasn't changed over 2,000 years. Even with the increase in Christianity spreading around the world, there are still more opportunities for people to hear the gospel than there are laborers prepared to share it. Why would God need to send somebody from Wales, UK, to Madison, Wisconsin, to speak to you today, when you've maybe lived your, your entire life, because he wants to stir you up today. He wants to provoke you. He wants to provoke you in, into asking God, God, how can you use my life for your glory? I tell you from personal experience, there is nothing greater to invest your time, your talent, and your treasure in right now than reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is nothing greater to invest your time, your talent, and your treasure in right now than reaching people with the gospel. I talk to a lot of wealthy people who are very discouraged. One guy was telling me about how his business is linked to the oil field and the oil industry had gone down, and, and I started to talk to him about you know, who is the provider in all this? Who is the provider? God says, I will provide all your needs according to my riches in glory. It's not about the U.S. economy. It's not about the global economy. It's not about the strength of the dollar. You know, my friends are worried about the strength of the dollar over the British pound. I said, I don't live by that economy. I live by the economy of heaven. God's bank account isn't short. God isn't saying today, I can't afford this. All he's saying is the laborers are few. Will you stand up and be one of the laborers? Julie and I have been full-time missionaries for 18 years. And I don't tell you this today, that you need to go and do this. I'm telling you what we did, hoping that you'll catch some inspiration to do something similar yourself. We came from Wales in the UK. There's a slide there that shows you. Somebody in Houston said, you need to put a map up that Wales is a country because Americans are short on information. I thought that was a very polite way of saying you're geographically challenged. Um, Wales is a country, but I know this church knows that because Pastor Tom preaches about the Welsh revival. One of my uh, favorite stories about the Welsh revival of 1904, um, my grandparents would tell me stories of their, their parents coming in drunk in the Holy Spirit, laughing and singing about what God had done in the service that they just attended that evening. Uh, my grandfather was a coal miner, and my great-grandfather was a coal miner, my dad was a coal miner, and that was the industry in Wales. And when the revival hit, the, the coal mines, the coal miners gave their lives to Christ. Now, before that time, the coal miners would speak a lot with curse words, 
And so the pit ponies or the mules that would pull the, the trams, uh, for the, for, you know, the carts that they put the coal in, would really only operate on curse words because that was the language. But the revival reversed that, and they, they had to retrain the pit ponies how to pull the, and, and uh, respond to the langu- new language of the coal miners. Sometimes I think the Lord sent us here to retrain the pit ponies in America how to respond to the new language. We need to start to speak life and not death, hope and not discouragement. We have the words of eternal life, not the words of eternal death, but we have come to to do that for the Lord. It's so exciting to, um, to be doing what we're doing now, but we haven't always done what we're doing now and going around the world. Judy and I, when we left school, were, we went into the business world. For 20 years, we were very successful in the marketplace, and I, I was Wales' largest soccer uniform specialist. I sponsored our, our Welsh soccer league uh, and a number of the amateur leagues, and um, I had 2,000 soccer clubs that were my customers, so I had a very, very successful business. You know, soccer, or football as we call it, uh, in the UK is like a religion. You know, people fill stadiums every week uh, and worship these people kicking the ball around. I know you have a different shape ball that they worship over you mainly, but, but they still do this. To them, it becomes a religion. Sport has become a religion in, it, in and of itself. There are more people passionately cheering on, uh, hoping that one team will beat the other than they are hoping that heaven will overcome hell in this nation. And so I, I just want to encourage you today that, you know, God hasn't finished with you yet. Judy and I were 36 years of age, and the Lord challenged us uh, and asked us the question, what are you investing your life in? You know, everybody looking at mine and Judy's life would say we were successful. They said, you know, you had, we had plenty of money, we had nice cars, we had nice vacations, we had a beautiful house. And everybody looking at us, our business was booming, and, you know, we, we, were, we were good at what we did. And, and, but there was this internal dissatisfaction in my life because I felt a long time ago that God wanted me to be part of his end-time harvest. And I remember the Lord challenging me in 2001 with a question, what legacy do you want to leave? Somebody said, what, what uh, inscription do you want on your gravestone? And I said, well, the last thing I want people to say is that he was Wales' largest soccer uniform specialist. That's not the legacy that I wanted to leave behind. I wanted people to say that he populated heaven and he decimated hell, that he won people to Christ. He, he used his life and his resources to transform people and families and cities and nations. And I thought, oh, Lord, how, how could that ever happen to this 37-year-old Welsh boy that really, you know, the village I, I was raised in had 1,000 people, no stoplights, and a, probably 10,000 sheep, just to show you how rural where I came from. And I thought, God, can you use me? And then God would remind me of people like the shepherd boy David who became king of Israel because he had sacrificed his life for the purposes of God. And so I said, Lord, if you can use us, we'll give you a year of our life. So Julie and I talked about this, and I said, Julie, I think the Lord is telling us to give up our careers, sell our home and travel for a while. And to cut a long story short, we made a radical decision to do that. And in 2003, we flew 5,000 miles from Wales, UK, to Dallas, Texas, to attend Christ for the Nations Bible School uh, and give a year of our life to the Lord. Nobody laughed, thank you, thankfully. People say to me, Julie looks the same. What happened to you? <laughs> I think it's the glasses, I think. So it's. Uh, <clears throat> we, we were on the stage, uh, we, were, we were in an auditorium, very much like this, only perhaps three times the size of it. And uh, on, a, on, on a Tuesday morning at the 11 a.m., and this guy was coming from Washington, D.C., to speak to the students in the school. Uh, his name was Bishop Harry Jackson. I know he, he was an advisor, a prophetic advisor to Donald Trump at one time and speaking into the White House. And, but he had come in 2003 to speak to the students at Christ for the Nations. And uh, he called us out 
of, of this auditorium of 1,100 students from 55 different nations. And he just singled me and Julie out. He, he actually said, the lady with the blonde hair, and we were like halfway back in the auditorium. And then Julie didn't move because a lot of people had blonde hair. And he said, the not so young lady with the blonde hair. That's the way prophets are, isn't it, these days? So... Uh, you have to be careful how you say things. And, and so he called Julie, and he said, if that guy with, by the side of you is with you, bring him. Is that the way that you want God to call you if, you, you know, if you're with her? So I hang out with Julie a lot because God calls you for a lot of things, and I get to, to, to ride on her coattails. So. Um, but so, so we came out the front thinking, what on earth is this guy going to say to us, you know? And uh, he said... I believe the Lord is saying to you that I'm going to give you a joint ministry that is going to touch many nations. There's going to become an equality of gait in the way you walk together. We have very different personality types. We have very different styles of ministry. He said, God is going to cause you to walk together, that your joint ministry is going to touch many nations. And I remember at the time thinking, well, what does that mean? What, how is that ever going to happen? You know, I've just given up my career. And I thought, our money's not going to last forever. And the Lord says, if you trust me, uh, give me this year and, and just dedicate yourself. Invest everything you have in me and see what God will do. Well, to cut a long story short, from that time to this, we have lived on three continents. We've done cross-cultural ministry uh, all over the world. We've been to 34 nations and 43 states. You know, God has opened doors for us. God has funded everything that we've ever wanted funding. My passport for the 10 years after leaving Bible school was the fullest passport I've ever seen because it, this was God's economy and not our economy. This was not us opening doors. This was God opening doors. God is looking for a surrendered life. The question is, what are you investing your life in today? We left Bible school in 2004. We went to Zimbabwe as missionaries. We put together a satellite television ministry that took the gospel into 80 million homes every week, right across Africa and Europe. And even as I say that to you, my brain says, is that true? Did you do that? And I remember thinking, wow, when I found out the statistics of how many people were going to be able to listen to the gospel, I just remembered that prophecy that said, you're going to have a joint ministry that's going to touch many nations. And this was God affirming that call on our lives. We left there, went to help a church in England for a while, became senior pastors for 10 years. I never wanted to be a pastor. I had no interest in being a pastor. I just wanted to serve, and I just wanted to help. But, you know, sometimes you gravitate to situations that God wants to use your life for. And I said, Lord, if this is what you want me to invest this time in, that's what I will do. Well, I can see now how God has used that time in learning to understand the church world, learning to understand what a pastor's role is, to use us now. We spend a lot of time encouraging uh, and inspiring pastors in their role in what we do. Then five years ago, the Lord said to us, you're in a year of transi transition. I want you to hand over your leadership and trust me. We did, and we handed over our church to new leaders, and we flew to America uh, to travel for a while and to go to a conference at Christ for the Nations. By the way, that song, that, that there's a theme song of this conference, Rise, sang uh, originally by Kerry Job. Kerry Job was in our class at Christ for the Nations when we were students. I, I often wonder whether she tells people that in her concerts. Mark and Julie was in my class. I think she may have forgotten. That's young people for you, you know. It's, <laughs> us oldies, we'll, we will tell you who we were with. So, But we, we, were, um, we were in America, and the Lord said to us, I want you to transition your ministry to come to the United States. And five years ago, I, I had a battle with that. I said, Lord, the, you know, the, the U.S. has a lot of Christians, a lot of great speakers, a lot of great churches, and do they really need us to come and be part of this? He said, I want you to redig the wells of revival in this nation. I want you to point the face of the American church back to the Great Commission. You know, the, the word that the Lord has said to me about the American church is it's too easily distracted from the one mission that I gave to the church 2,000 years ago to go into all the world and preach the gospel. 
You know, so many of us can get distracted in our lives from our real purpose. It doesn't matter what you feel your purpose is today, whether you're a businessman or a businesswoman, whether you're a homemaker, uh, whether you're in education or finance, whether you're in the political arena, whether you're in the church world. It doesn't matter what your role is. All that is secondary to your first call is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ that takes the gospel to your neighbors and the nations. All the rest is like peripheral to what God has got at the center of your life. God is not looking for believers. He's looking for disciples. Are there any disciples of Jesus in this room today? There's a few of you. Well, God has marked you today to, to remind you to say everything that I said to my first disciples is available to you as well. As I was praying about today's service and asking the Lord what he wanted to say. The media team sent me an email and said, Mark, what is the title of your message? I said, I have no idea yet because I'll preach it different in every service. And uh, I just felt the Lord say to me, go to John 14, verse 12, and reading from the NIV, it says this. It says, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Can you say that with me today? Greater things. Greater things. As I've studied God's word and I've looked at the work of the early disciples and the words of Jesus trying to make sense of, so God, what is this Christian life all about? What do you want us to be doing? I don't want to be busy doing things that God is not interested in. You know, I, I'm not trying to overcome political decisions. It's not my life. I'm not trying to, to demonstrate because we need to change the way the world sees a certain thing or, or other thing. I, I'm here to, to propagate the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know a lot of people who, who give a lot of funds to charity, and, and, and you'll praise God for those who are charitable in their nature. But, you know, anybody can give to charity. But it's only Christians that give to the gospel and the gospel going around the world. This is time for the church to stand up and be counted and look at what the main thing is and make sure we stick to that. I don't know about you this morning, but I'm tired of mediocre, mediocre, mediocrity in the Christian world. I don't want to be a mediocre Christian. I don't want to be a Christian that says, well, we have a quiet faith. We, we just do the things we want to do, and we go to church every week, and then we, we go and we have this other life outside. I, I want to be the type of Christian that Jesus said would do greater things than even he did. You know, the, the, the job description of a believer is to heal the sick and raise the dead and cleanse the leper and cast out demons. Somebody said to me in Indiana a while back, they said, what, what hobbies do you have? And I know they wanted me to say hunting or watching football or, or, watching, uh, or go fishing. And I said, well, I said, we heal the sick, we raise the dead, we cast out demons and we cleanse the leper. What do you do? <laughs> and he says, I shoot things. I said, so do we, but, but the, we shoot the enemy. The demonic realm, I said, you know, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. In James chapter 2, verse 19, uh, reading from the NIV, James said this, he said, you believe that there is one God, good, even the demons believe that, and they shudder. I love the way the Eugene Peterson said this in the Message Bible, he cuts right to the heart of this verse and expands it, and he says, in James 2.19, reading from the message, Do I hear you professing to believe in the one and only God, but then observe you complacently sitting back as if you had done something wonderful? That's just great. Demons do that. But what good does it do them? Use your heads. Do you suppose for a minute that you can cut faith and works in two and not end up with a corpse on your hands? It's a harsh way to think that a life that has faith but there are no works as evidence of that faith is really a dead life. You know, people will know that you belong to Jesus by what you do. What do, how, what do people say about you? Jesus said, didn't he, who do people say that I am? He was just testing the disciples, I guess, to, to, just to say, are you getting this yet? 
Are you understanding who I am? I'm not just some carpenter that has got a cause, but I am the Son of God. I, I've come here to build a church. You know, one of the things I feel strongly about uh, the way Jesus talked to his disciples was that he, he, a lot of the time he was frustrated at religious people. You know, one of the, I get frustrated at religious people. You know, religious people tell us things all the time. You, know, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't have so much humor in your message, or you shouldn't laugh, or you shouldn't do this. Or you, and I'm like, they live in a dead life, and they're telling me how I should be living. I, I want to be advised by somebody who's living a more abundant life than I am. You know, sometimes when I had business, we'd have these get-rich-quick schemes. You know, people would come and say, if you invest in this, you'll be a millionaire. And I used to look at sometimes their lives, and i said, say, are you a millionaire? And they'd say no. And I said, well, I would rather be advised by a millionaire of how I can get there. What are people seeing about your Christian life? You know, it's time for the church of Jesus Christ to arise. We need to start to look like and sound like the type of church that Jesus gave his life for and that he rose again from the dead for. We need to be the, the, the type of Christian that hell trembles when you come into the room. You know, the demons flee because they said, oh no, this person or that person has woken up. I believe we can be that type of person. Jesus speaking to his disciples in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, again reading from the NIV, says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You know, we've, uh, some Bibles label that the Great Commission. It's a mission that Jesus said is a co-mission. What does that mean? He said, if you go, I'll come with you. He was talking to his early disciples, but, you know, what he was doing was he was giving them the start of a relay race. I, I bought this baton, which I like to carry with me just to remind me of our role. Our role, you know, Jesus was say, said, this is the gospel. This is the good news. This, is, this has the power to change lives. And I am passing this on to you as my early disciple. And your role, he gave them this pat baton and said, I want you to run, and I'm going to run alongside you. And I want you to pass on this baton to everybody that you come into contact with. And so the idea of, of us now, the only reason that you are a Christian today is somebody passed on this baton to you and to the person who led you to Christ. It might have been a parent. It might have been a co-worker. It might have been a pastor. But you holding this baton today, you know, so you have a responsibility to pass it on to someone else. But if you get distracted and you start off doing your own thing and you think, well, it's somebody else's responsibility to go and take, pass this baton on to someone else, you're shirking the responsibility that God gave to you. God wants to use your life. He wants you to pick up the baton and say, Lord, use me. I want to invest everything I am to tell people about Jesus Christ. You have the opportunity this week to support missionaries. I know this church is a mission-sending church. If God is not telling you to get on an airplane and fly to the other side of the world, he's telling you that you need to send someone else in your place. That is part of your responsibility. But if you do that, it, that doesn't mean that your responsibility is over. You still have a sphere of influence right here in Madison, Wisconsin, or whichever area that you live. If you're watching on live stream, the Lord is speaking to you today, saying that he has a plan and a purpose in your life to set people free. He wants to heal the sick and raise the dead. He wants to cleanse the leper, and he wants to cast out demons. So this morning, I just want to encourage you that if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you have a personal responsibility to make sure the gospel is passed on to everyone who hasn't heard it. The reason God didn't take you to heaven the moment you were saved is because there's kingdom work for you to do. The great missions writer Oswald J. Smith said this. He said, no one has the right to hear the gospel twice while there remains someone who has not heard it once. You know, it's so important that we 
tell people about the gospel. As I travel, I hear some people come up to us and say, I believe Jesus is coming back soon. And I really hope, I really believe that there's a possibility that he may come back in my lifetime. But until he does, I wanted him to find me with my hand to the plow, telling people about Christ, transforming families and lives and nations, turning cities to Christ. That's how I want him to find me. The reality is, in 2021, three billion people alive today on this planet has never heard the name of Jesus one time. That's a third of our population has never heard the, about Jesus. So whilst we are saying that Jesus is coming back, they don't know he came the first time. You know, there's that uh, vision that John had of heaven in Revelation where he saw people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation worshiping around the throne, a, multiple, a multitude too many to count. You know, what does that mean? That is the fulfillment of the Great Commission. That is a picture of what people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation worshiping around the throne looks like. So it's not mission impossible, it's mission inevitable. The question today is, will it be done on our watch? Or will the Lord have to pass it on to another generation? I believe that if the church of Jesus Christ woke up and ro rise up, the Great Commission could be over in a heartbeat. If we did what we could do collectively to take the gospel to our neighbors and the nations, this world would turn around Julie's going to come and share with you what God laid on her heart. I'm going to ask the worship team to come and join us. You know, we, we saw some powerful ministry happening during the prayer time this morning after first service. And so I want to invite you, uh, after we, we've sang this song and uh, Julia shared, to just come and be prayed for today. Just come and stand with us. I don't feel that we're going to stand and pray over you as such, but we're going to agree with you what God is about to do in your life. I believe this is a defining moment for many of you. If you're prepared to say, Lord, use my life, use me. Help me, help me. You know, there's that lady that said, um, I believe, help my unbelief. Sometimes we can think, Lord, I, I want to give everything, but there's something that's stopping me. I've tried, but then I keep taking it back. I just want to encourage you today to come and step out in the front at that time. And just see what the Lord will do in releasing that anointing of breakthrough over you. Thank you, Julie. As I was praying about what to bring to you this morning, the Lord took me back to a recent devotion. And I believe that this is a word for you this morning. Let me lead you. Are you willing to release the lesser for the greater? Are you willing to let me lead and guide your life, your every step? Every door that closes is an opportunity to see me do something greater. Every door that closes is an opportunity to see me do something greater. Do we believe that today? Even if the enemy has stolen from you, release the frustration. Find excitement in what I'm about to do. He's telling us to let go. He's telling us to let go. My ability to bless is much greater than the enemy's ability to steal. Never forget that. Seasons change, at times much quicker and more abruptly than you'd like. I've seen you when your soul has been crushed and you're weighed down with discouragement. Is that you this morning? That your spirit is crushed, that you're weighed down with discouragement. But if you will let go of the despair and relinquish the right to be mad, I will show you my glory in this situation. All I ask is that you shake off the discouragement Stop asking why and begin to praise me instead. You know, praise tears down strongholds. Yes. We've got to learn to praise in the midst of every situation and circumstance that we find. Declare my sovereignty, says the Lord, and remind yourself that nothing that you place in my hand ever goes unnoticed. 
You cannot offer me faith and receive a curse in return. Give the situation to me and watch and see what I will do. John 17 and verse 10 in the Passion Translation, we read about Jesus praying to his Father for his disciples before he leaves them. And that's a prayer for you and me too. All who belong to me now belong to you. And all who belong to you now belong to me as well. And my glory is revealed through their surrendered lives. And as I dwelt on that last statement, it just hit me. And my glory, says the Lord, is revealed through their surrendered lives. How surrendered is your life today? You know, we have a habit of laying things down, our burdens at the foot of the cross, our concerns, our worries, our dreams and our visions, but then we take them back up again. What are you carrying that you should be laying down at the foot of the cross today? You know, we've sung about him turning shame into glory giving us beauty for ashes, and, and that's my testimony. But the Holy Spirit this morning, we sang about him having the intention to bring freedom. He's an intentional God. He's not an accidental God. He knows you and he sees you. He knows what you have need of, and he's intentional. And this morning, he wants to be intentional about your freedom. How intentional are you about your freedom. It was for freedom that Christ came and willingly laid down his life. Why? That we might live in the abundance of the life that he died for us to live in. You know, the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but Jesus said, but I have come that you might have life. If that is you, if you're feeling discouraged, if there's a weight of discouragement from the past, I encourage you to lay it down this morning. Be as intentional about gaining your freedom, freedom from things from the past, words that maybe have been spoken over you, and just allow the Holy Spirit to come. The Holy Spirit is, is defined in Scripture as wind and fire, and wind realigns, it shifts things, but fire redefines. You know, when a fire comes through, you have to rebuild differently. So if that is a message for you, if you're ready to allow the Holy Spirit to come and redefine you, this is your moment. We sang about not leaving the presence of God the same. This is your moment. Just step out. Respond. If any of these words resonate with your spirit, take that step of faith because he's trustworthy hands. And he, he's more interested in your success than you are. He died that we might be free. Why? So that we can bring others to freedom. It's not about us. It's all about him and his work and what he wants to do in us as well as through us. So I encourage you, receive from the Lord this morning. Amen.